It's a, it's a, it is a good morning. It's an exciting morning. Uh, we get to celebrate Chloe's baptism. Layla's here. Chloe's baptized. There's another baptism. All kinds of good stuff. Um, my intro for the first service was I was going to introduce myself as Pastor Sam Miles. And, um, and I totally forgot. Uh, I showed up and I was like, hi, I'm Jeff. Missed it. But, the, uh, but I, do, I do have some serious business to take care of in this service, especially because the youth are in here. And the last time that I was um, it, it, behind this pulpit, I, I said some wrong things. I said that this is like driving, driving dad's car, which it is, but that the youth ministry was like my 1990 Toyota Corolla <laughs> junker. And, and so, you know, one of the students was like, bro, did you just call us a janky car? And I said, well, <laughs> but I'm going to take that back, okay? And it's because that's not fair. I mean, the Toyota Corolla, it was, I mean, it was good to me. Like, it was a simple, easy car. It was small. Got the job done. But you guys aren't that. You're so much more than that. You're more like my 1992 red pickup truck that I have now. Way cooler. Way cooler, right? Um, I just need to repair the suspension, change my brakes. Had to put gas in it like every other day. I mean, but it's good. High maintenance, but awesome, right? Okay. Sorry. Next time I'm up here, if I'm invited back, they'll... uh, I'll have to repent again, so. Okay, let's jump into it, all right? So we are in Ephesians chapter 5. The high school class has been in Ephesians, and um, we're just walking through that book verse by verse, and uh, we're going to continue that this morning. We are in chapter 5, if you want to be turning there. Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to cover verses 8 through 12. We'll read these verses, then we'll pray, and we'll kind of just, we'll walk through it together. Does that sound good? Sound like a plan? Everybody awake? Awesome. Okay, well, use that energy and let's pray together right now, okay? Father, thank you for your word. God, thank you that it is sure and it is reliable, that it is um, faithful, that you are faithful to your word. That God, this morning you want to, to, to meet with us where we're at in our, in our present, current situations. That God, you want to speak into our lives. That, God, you want to comfort, you want to, to, to see people edified. God, you have a work for us that's so much better than what we could do on our own on a Sunday morning. Because your word and your spirit and your people are here. And so, God, would you help us to see it that way. See this morning as an opportunity to hear from you, to worship you, to submit and surrender to you. God, help us to see that and then... And then, Lord, give us boldness to just say yes to you, whatever that looks like. And um, just like Chloe demonstrated for us, to just say yes, even though it might be scary, it might be uncomfortable, it might be awkward. God, saying yes to you is always the best option. So help us to see what we're supposed to say yes to. And God, have your way this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so let's, uh, I said I was going to read it, then pray. Then I started praying. So let's read it. 
Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8 says, For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving we're to walk as children of light, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them, for it's a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. So there's a couple components of these verses that we'll, um, we'll hang out with. The first of which is we were darkness and now we're light. We're going to talk about our salvation. And then he says, okay, now walk as children of light. So we're going to talk about walking. And then he says, stay away from the unfruitful works of you know, darkness. Don't, don't go back to what you were doing before. And we're going to talk about being conformed. Those are the three areas we're going to drill down on. And so before we talk about walking and conforming, we've got to talk about salvation. And we are going to look through some passages that detail for us what happened at salvation. What happened to you? Or what will happen to some of you? Right? And I'll start with just giving my personal testimony of salvation. Um, give you kind of what it might look like in a human testimony form versus the spiritual things that we'll talk about in a second. For me, I was in uh, elementary school. My parents went to a Lutheran church that we attended pretty regularly, faithfully. We had friends there. My parents liked the pastor. If I, I, remember, I remember that they liked one pastor, and then when he moved on to another thing, they said, let's go find uh, a place we can plug into. And so we began church hunting. We were looking for a church to plug into, and Elementary school into middle school, middle school, my mind was all of a sudden like, church is cool, church is not cool, right? I am no longer interested in this boring guy talking about whatever. The music was okay. I was interested in music. They didn't, they didn't have Gerardo. <laughs> I mean, my face wasn't melting at those other churches, but it melts here, right? <clears throat> so... I just wasn't really into it. And so, uh, you know, middle school was kind of like blah. But then in high school, there was a, a, a girl and she was in one of, some of my classes and she was very kind to me. That was what stands out the most is that she was kind and she wasn't flirtatious. She was just kind of nice to me and it didn't really make sense and it was different. And so she, um, in the midst of, there was like a, something like a birthday party or something that we were at and she says to me, hey, you want to come to church with me and my sister tomorrow? I said, sure. She said, okay, well, yeah, we can come pick you up. I was like, wow, okay, cool, sure, whatever, you know. So her sister drives her uh, to my house. They pick me up. We go to the church that's it's right down the street from my house. And so I'm like, okay, cool. I don't have to wake up super early. I just roll over and into their car, and then I'm at church. And <laughs> so uh, I began for the next year, year and a half, to attend semi, if not pretty regularly, this youth group church service uh, with these people who became my friends. And what was happening was I would listen to the preachers, the guest speakers, the pastor there, the people who would come before the, the youth group behind the pulpit, they would open the Bible and then they would start preaching the Bible. 
and teaching what the Bible says. They would tell me what God thinks about me and what God did for me and wants to do for me. And they would say things like, these are God's expectations. This is who God is. This is how God feels. And I was like, whoa, this is different, right? And the more I listened, I I remember vividly sleeping during uh, multiple messages in the high school class. I remember that because they had like skylights in the area that the youth met and I would just like, God, are you out there? And then I was gone. But I also, I remember vividly there were some points in those messages that left me thinking. I was curious. I was wrestling because over that year and a half time where I'm hearing preaching, I'm exposed to these people who love me for whatever reason, I had to get through this decision of, okay, Either this is unreasonable, okay, because they're saying, they're saying that the bar is here, and they're saying that I'm like here. So that's unreasonable, and I'm okay. And sometimes that argument won, and I'd be like, yeah, yeah, I'm good. And then there were some mornings after the preaching where I was thinking, I think that's right. I think that's reasonable. I think that's truth. And I'm not okay. There's something very wrong. And there was a a camp. Pastor Sam was the guest preacher, which I think is really cool. And he's preaching. And I finally just said, this is right. I'm wrong. And I need to get right. I need to be made right with God. And I told the, there's a guy who walks by. He says, hey, what are you thinking? How are you doing? I'm like, glad you asked. This is where I'm at. I believe this stuff, but I don't know what to do. What do I do now? And so he led me through scripture. What does it say? And I, and I confessed Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I was born again. I gave him my sin and I received his life. And it was awesome. And I didn't really know what was happening, but I knew that I just trusted what his word said and I obeyed it. And I felt a lot better. Right? I felt peace. I felt like it was resolved. But what all happened when you or when I got saved. What all is involved in that? We're going to talk about a few things. So the first one that jumps off the page from our passage we're in, in verse 8 is, for ye were sometimes darkness. You were darkness. We were darkness. But now ye are light in the Lord. That's the opposite. You were darkness and you were made light. Well, what does that really mean? What is that darkness? How does that look? John 3, 17 to 21 says, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So... Before you believe in, believe on Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we're actually already condemned. We're already guilty. God looks at it and says, it's the sin you're guilty of. Guilty of it all. And here's what that condemnation, how it played out, how it plays out. This is the condemnation that light is coming to the world. Jesus, the gospel, truth. 
and men loved darkness rather than light. Well, why? Why do we love darkness rather than light? Because their deeds were evil. Okay, so if our deeds are evil, if we know that we are in disobedience to God, we know that the things we think, we say, we do, they're vile, they're nasty, we know that. So of course, when light is offered, we're like, "Mm, I don't know. That's a little unreasonable. I think I'm gonna just stay here and I'm okay. Because they would be exposed if they were in the light. For everyone that that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth, he that obeys, he that submits, he that's going to just surrender to truth, he that doeth truth cometh to the light. That his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. So before Christ, we were darkness, we loved darkness, we were in darkness, we were condemned in our sin. And if you're not confident that you're born again, doesn't that feel bad? Doesn't it feel dark, hopeless, empty, kind of scary to think that when you die, as everyone will do, you don't know what will face you or what you will face? I don't know about you, that's terrifying. But when we got saved, when we humbled ourselves and came to the light of the glorious gospel, when we relented, when we gave in and we believed on Jesus Christ, now we are become light as we've been changed by the light. When we get in the light, well now God looks at it, he's like, light, right? That's pretty abstract though, isn't it? You're like, I don't, I don't know what happened when I got saved and became light. What does that mean? Well, let's talk about a few practical things. Let's work our our way towards some practical implications of our salvation that we'll pull from Colossians chapter 1, verse 12 through 14. There's five things. Ready? Giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood and even the forgiveness of sins. We receive an inheritance at our salvation. Before you get saved, you have nothing to look forward to. It is not looking good for you if you're not born again. When you die, you you don't know what's there. But when you get saved, you know you have everything to look forward to. Because this world, you know it's not good to you. You know it's not. Stop lying to yourself. But when you're born again, you know, I received an inheritance. I'm going to be with my family. I'm going to be with God for eternity. And he's preparing a mansion for me. That's pretty cool. Right? We received an inheritance. You're delivered from not just being darkness and being made light. You're delivered from the power of darkness. Now no longer does your sin, that darkness, what you used to be and what you used to partake in, it doesn't have power over us anymore. Now that doesn't control my decisions or my my contentment. It doesn't control how my life plays out. I don't have to sin. I don't have to be part of that. We're translated into his kingdom. I'm not a member of of this kingdom, of this world. I'm not a member of, you know, this world's society. Now I'm translated. Now I have a king. 
Now I have a family. Now I have guidelines. I have, I have guiding and, and promises. I have truth that will lead me surely to blessing, to contentment, to, to peace, to a life worth living. Now I have a new kingdom that I'm part of. We have redemption that we saw from those verses. So I, you know, I got saved when I was in high school. And some of you, maybe you got saved when you were an adult. And so <clears throat> this is a different um, perspective I'm, I'm unfamiliar with a little bit. But I know this. I know that before I got saved, I wasn't very valuable to anything except for my parents. Like, what did I contribute to anything? The answer is nothing. <laughs> okay? N- nothing. Now, maybe you think, well, you know, I'm not saved and I'm valuable to society. I pay my taxes. I'm building a life for myself that's pretty awesome. I work well for my company and we're building this thing. Can I tell you that means nothing? Okay, that means nothing. So before Christ, all of that is just emptiness. It's just vanity. But when you get saved, you're redeemed. It's like you were just this thing on the ground that really wasn't contributing to anything, had no value. And God said, hey, come here. I'm going to use you and I'm going to put you to work and you are valuable now. Salvation is pretty good. And additionally, you were given value. You were given forgiveness. Don't you need to be forgiven? You know the feeling when you disobey your parents and you know you're going to get a discipline and you kind of want to throw up (laughs) every time. That's not a good feeling. But do you know the feeling when that's dealt with, when it's taken care of, and your dad says, I forgive you. Come here, I love you. And there's the embrace and the, got it taken care of. You can have that with God. And we need that. So if these things don't describe your life, I'm going to give you the first key point. If you can't say, I know I'm forgiven, I know I'm redeemed, I know that I'm part of this new economy, this new kingdom, this new rule and reign of Jesus Christ in my heart and in the hearts of my brothers and sisters, I know that my sin has been dealt with and taken care of. I know that I'm accepted. I know that I'm a child of God. If you can't say that confidently, then this morning you're going to... You're confronted with the most important decision of your life. Today is the day for you to be saved from your sin. And nothing else matters. The Chiefs are going to beat the Ravens. It doesn't matter. (laughs) You're going to eat the lunch. It's going to be eaten. It doesn't matter. It's going to happen. You're going to go to work tomorrow. Doesn't matter. Nothing matters but that we know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And what we'll see from the next section of these verses that we're looking at here is that this next key point, okay, we're going to prove this out, that our new saved life then, 
So once you get saved, at the end of the service, you're going to come down. People are going to pray with you. You're going to give your life to the Lord. You're going to finally humble yourself and give in to Jesus. And then your new saved life is to demonstrate all that has been given and done for us in salvation. So you can come here, get saved, and walk out with a purpose. But maybe you're saved and you don't know that that you've been saved for a purpose. And it is to demonstrate all that has been given and done for us in salvation. So you're born again and you're called to grow. And what do babies do after they, you know, get chunky and get some muscle mass too? And then they're about a year, or if they're my kid, they're like a year and a half or something like that. What do they do? They walk. Okay, we got to walk. We talked about salvation. Let's talk about walking. It says in Ephesians Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. He says, proving, here's the purpose of walking as children of light, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. So we're to walk through life, and that proves what is acceptable unto God. So that's kind of a, like, I was reading that and I was like, what does that mean? Like, what? So let's look at another passage that I think will lay it out for us. In Matthew chapter 9, verses 1 through 8, it says, speaking of Jesus, it says, And he entered into a ship and passed over and came into his own city. And behold, they brought to him a man sick of the palsy, lying on a bed. This man couldn't get up. He couldn't walk on his own. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said unto the sick of the palsy, He says, Son, Be of good cheer. Thy sins be forgiven thee. Let's pause really quick. Does Jesus know this guy? That's like a trick question, isn't it? (laughs) I didn't mean to do that. I mean, yeah, right? But, okay. Does, Does the sick guy, does he know that Jesus knows him? No, maybe, but probably not, right? Okay, Jesus says to him, Son, he relates to him. Don't we need the God who created everything to relate to us? And then he says, and then he kind of, he empathizes with him. He addresses his heart. He says, be of good cheer. Cheer up. Hey, it's all right. You know why? Because the next thing he says, thy sins be forgiven thee. We, we need to hear that from the Lord, don't we? Okay, and then it continues. And behold, so this guy saw it. He heard it. He's like, all right. And behold, certain of the scribes said within themselves, people around, they say, this man blasphemeth. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, wherefore think ye evil in your hearts? Why are you thinking evil in your hearts? He says, for whether is easier to say, thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, arise and walk. He says, what's easier, all right? You, you think that's blaspheming for me to forgive this guy. Well, what's easier? For me to say f- that I forgive you, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. Ha ha, I got him, right? What do they have to say? Well, they have to say, well, to, to say you're forgiven. So he doesn't even let him answer. He says, but that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. He says, so you know that I have the power to forgive sins? 
Then saith he to the sick of the palsy, he says, Arise, take up thy bed, and go unto thine house. And he arose and departed to his house. But when the multitude saw it, they marveled. They saw this guy get up and walk. And they marveled and glorified God, which had given such power unto men. So there's a picture here for us. Jesus proves his power to give this man forgiveness by using his power to give him the ability to walk. And doesn't he do the same thing for us? He proves to others that he has the power to save and to forgive, and he does that by giving us the power and ability to walk with him. Right? And the people notice. But if the man doesn't walk, the power isn't proven. If we don't walk, we are not proving what is acceptable unto God. It isn't shown, it's there. But nobody can acknowledge it. And so here's our next key point. Our miraculous, and it's miraculous because we don't deserve it, and we couldn't create it. Our miraculous and obedient walk with Christ proves his power. Proves his power. And as you're filling in that blank, there's some insights that we'll see from this passage. The multitudes, they glorified God, right? And they... And they do so acknowledging that he had given such power unto men. So people, the, the multitudes, they see Jesus healing this guy. And they, they don't think, well, they, they might think this, but it doesn't say, oh, wow, he just must be God. That must be God right there. What do they acknowledge? That God gave power unto men, Right? Okay, and then if you just take a natural inference, okay, wow, God can do that through people. Well, what do, what do we do? Wow, God can use that guy to do that? He can use that lady to do that? I think I could do that. I think I could participate. If this person can disciple someone, then maybe I could disciple somebody. If this person can lead someone to the Lord, aren't we encouraged when we hear people stand and give testimony that they led someone to the Lord at their workplace, in their school, or something like that? I know every time we hear that, it's like, wow, ah, I want to do that. People want to participate in the power of God. And they'll see that through our walk with God. But let's look at some other insights from, from this passage. In Mark and, and Luke's accounts, we see another insight from Jesus giving this man the ability to walk. In Mark chapter 2, verse 12, it says, And immediately he arose, this is the guy who got healed, he arose, took up the bed, and went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, and, and for whatever reason, as I was going over this, I kept hearing a country accent. All the people around, they're like, we ain't never seen it on this fashion. <laughs> they're seeing this guy get up and they're like, we ain't seen that before, right? That's different. In Luke chapter 5, verse 25 and 26, we see a similar response from the crowd. And immediately he rose up before them and took up that whereon he lay and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed and they glorified God, right? This testimony is awesome. And they and were filled with fear, saying, 
We have seen strange things today. This guy walking, that's different. We ain't never seen that before. <laughs> and it's weird. Right? Okay. Our translated light walking testimony is slash should be unlike anything the world has ever seen. The multitudes ought to look at our walk and say, I've never seen that before. That's different. And hopefully they say it in a country accent. <laughs> but the, it should be unique. Now, regarding church and religion, spirituality, that's the quote-unquote business that we're in. We are a church and we are seeking souls and we want lost people to come and, and to see and meet Jesus here, right? And a lot of people regarding church, they've seen some strange things, but not the right strange things. People have seen cultish guilt trips where they show up and they feel bad, not because they're convicted by their sin, but because they're convicted by this person condemning them. People have seen that before. It's a rerun. People have seen legalistic restrictions. They've seen charismatic performances. And those things aren't changing people's lives. Right? So what difference can we make? Well, we can walk the way we're called to walk. And people will see the things that they're supposed to see. So how are we called to walk? We're called to walk. I have a list there for us. We're called to walk in newness of life. You have a new life. The old life of sin and emptiness, of darkness, that's not what we're called to walk in. We're called to walk not after the flesh, not what we want, but after the Spirit. We're called to walk honestly. That's different. To walk honestly is different. I've, I teach public uh, high school, and man, I said, you know, I asked them a question, is it, is it okay to lie, you know, for certain reasons? And they're like, well, yeah. Yeah, duh. I was like, wait, what? Like, no, it's not. I mean, like, it's not okay to lie. What do you mean? Yeah, it's okay to lie. If it's little, it's no big deal. Wait, what? It's so normal. It's so normal to lie. Okay, it should not be so normal for us to lie, to just tell a little, you know, a little, what's it called? A little white lie. It's just, you know, it's, it's not a big deal. It is a big deal. It is a big deal. <laughs> We're called to walk by faith, not by sight. We're going through life and, and we're just walking by faith, trusting that God has said what he will do and he'll said who he'll be to us, for us, with us. And I'm just going to trust that. And it doesn't look like that's the proper response in my life, maybe. Maybe circumstances would dictate that I should do this, but God says this, and so I'm just going to believe it. That's different, Right? We're called to walk in the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, budding forth, producing fruit in our life. That's different. We're called to walk in good works, to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called, right? In unity. The church in unity? That's different. To walk in love as Christ also hath loved us. To walk as children of light. To walk circumspectly in wisdom toward them that are without. Redeeming the time. We're called to walk worthy of God. 
after his commandments, in truth. This is different. And the person who, who walks like that, people look at that, what can you say? I've never seen that before. I mean, can you name more than 10 people who walk like that? You're looking around, you're like, no, definitely, no, right? I mean, look at yourself. Do you walk like that? Do I walk like that? But if we will walk like that, people will see something they're unfamiliar with. You know why? Because people are unfamiliar with peace in the storm. When your life, when life is crazy and you're at peace, people haven't seen that before. They don't see that so often. People are unfamiliar with joy in the family. I used to turmoil, but joy? You guys like being around each other? Love in the workplace. Forgiveness in friendships. That's huge. Again, I teach high schoolers, and a lot of times at the school I work at, friendships are like canceled. I'm like, nope, they did this, we're done. Nope, 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 don't talk to me. I'm blocking you. Like, blocking is a thing. You know what happens to those high schoolers who block each other? They turn into us. And you know what we do? We block people. We don't forgive them. Dude, what if you weren't forgiven? What if Christ had that attitude? That would be awful. That would feel really bad. It wouldn't be right. People are unfamiliar with forgiveness. People are unfamiliar with gentleness and biblical guidance in parenting. That's strange. People aren't familiar with having the truth, being confident that we have the truth in humility. That looks weird. To know what's right and not throw it in somebody's face, that's different. But this is what we want to show the world because that proves and shows what God wants and accepts and is looking and calling us to, right? To put it simply, we're called to fulfill the picture that Enoch demonstrated for us as the church. So a couple weeks ago, Pastor Sam, we're working through Genesis, and he, he brought up Enoch. And Enoch, uh, what did God do to Enoch? He took him, right? God took Enoch. What was Enoch doing? Well, hold on, hold on, hold on. Delete that. He took him, and what does that picture for us? The rapture of the church. We will be taken up. What was Enoch doing before he was taken? He was walking with God. Genesis 5:24. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. So if you boil it down, you know, we had that list, and it's like, how am I supposed to think about all these different things? And Apply all these different things. Well, let's apply it this way. Just do this simple, this simple. When we walk with God in obedience to His Word, people see the right things. You want to hear from God? Just start obeying. 
You want to show people God? Well, just start obeying. You want to open doors to talk about the gospel? Well, just start obeying. Right? And people will see the right things. And they'll say, that's different. And it might not, it might not happen the way that, you know, like I think the ideal conversation is like we're, I don't know, we're in our workplace and we're not, you know, stealing or not talking trash. And we want someone to just say, wow, you're so much like Jesus. How do I get to know him? Like, we want it real simple. Like, we want the, you know, the, the, the meatball pitch. Just, like, toss it up, right? But sometimes it comes at us quick. Like, sometimes they'll just make a comment. And you might have to, like, catch it. And you might have to open a relationship with a person. That's where I'm struggling through. Like, I want to just say, you know, I hear a comment like, oh, that's, you know, you, oh, you... You're kind, whatever. You're kind. I want to say, hey, yeah, you should come to my church. Like, come to church with me, you know? But I think maybe I need to say, hey, what are you, what are you and your family doing, you know, on Friday? Maybe we could have dinner. Maybe you could come over to our house and we could build a relationship, a friendship. Ooh, that's uncomfortable. I don't like that, Right? But sometimes people are noticing, but we have to take advantage of when they notice. We have to respond with selflessness. But when we walk with God in obedience to his word, people will see the right things, and then we have to respond to that. So let's keep going. We've talked about salvation. We've talked about walking. I'm convicted. Let's talk about conforming, okay? You ready? You with me? Still awake? Okay. Chiefs don't play till like seven. They're going to win. It doesn't matter. Like, we're here. We're good. Now they're going to win. No yep. There is a guarantee. His name is Patrick Mahomes. Right? <laughs> okay, let's keep going. Conforming. So you get saved, you're walking with God, and then there's this conforming element. There's this decision, this, this submission that we have to make. And, and we see it here, part of it here in verses 11 and 12. It says, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them, for it is a shame to even speak of those things which are done of them in secret. Don't have fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Now, Kylie's leaving, but we're about to throw a picture of her up, so throw the picture up real quick. This is the best analogy I could come up with. I'm talking about you now, and you're leaving? Come on, man, okay. That's good timing. So this is my wife, Kylie, and uh, this is our wedding day. This is the moment. This is the scene. This is the analogy I, I, that I couldn't get away from. And, you know, she's there hugging her father, and that's awful. You know, it was awful for him. It was great, but it was awful. And then Philip and I have, like, three of them. Now I have three girls, so I took a good man's daughter, and the Lord's like, all right, well, here's three of them. Good luck, buddy. You know, Gordon knows, right? So this is an awful day for Chris in some ways, but it's actually a great day for him and Christine, and it was an awesome time. And here he's, you know, giving his last words. You know, it's, it's over. But then you look here... And look at her face, man. 
She's like, yes, sir, you know? <laughs> and I'm there, and I'm, I'm, I'm like, yeah, really? Okay, you know? She's eagerly anticipating her groom. It was an awesome moment. We had planned it. She had planned it. <laughs> we had talked about it. We had dreamed about it. We were excited about it. She's looking at me. And you could, you could take the picture down because unfortunately the church is not in that scene a lot of times. It'd be a shame if my bride was up there waiting to be married, the moment's right, and she's talking about filth, trash, evil, partying and drunkenness, fornication, debauchery. If she's up there just telling lies, just a little pet lie, just a little, little lie, maybe it's just disobedience to parents. I mean, it's not a big deal. Just, it would be a shame if she was up there acting like a brat. Wouldn't it? That would like ruin the scene. It'd be like, wait, 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 wait. You're supposed to be like happy and like enthused about this. And you're up there like whining. You're murmuring and disputing. Like, what? I would submit that not only is the bride of Christ today talking about filth, like I imagine she's not just like looking and talking about the filth that happens in the world and is fascinated by it, like just intrigued by it, like it's kind of like, did you hear what happened? Like they did this and this, whoa. Not only is the bride of Christ talking about it, but I think the bride of Christ church, I think we're kind of in fellowship with the filth of the world a little bit. I think we've relented our truth and said, well, you know, but there's this fun that we can have and there's these moments that we can share with these people that we could be with. And, and it's okay, right? God's got grace for that. We can have one foot in the church and we look really good on Sundays and Tuesdays, but we can have another foot in the world on Monday, Wednesday through Saturday. And I'm not coming for you personally. I'm talking generally to us. I think that we tend to kind of ruin the moment. And when our fellowship, when our fellowship is tied up with the works of darkness, even if it's little subtle things in our heart and our mind and our computer screens and in our private life that the rest of the church doesn't know about, even in those moments, man, that's shameful. It's kind of like, man, what a waste. The moment's ruined. This is awkward. And here's what God says to us. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, to the beginning of chapter 7, verse 1, he says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. I don't yoke up with them. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath us hath light with darkness. What communion is there? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? Wouldn't it be strange if we brought in a bunch of pagan idols in here? Wouldn't that throw us for a loop? I would be like, 
well, probably, I'd be like, what is that? <laughs> Wouldn't it be a shame? It'd be confusing. For ye are the temple of the living God. As God had said, I will dwell in them, and here's what he wants to do, and walk in them. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, that's why, so here we go, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting, maturing, growing in holiness and the fear of God. Letting God conform us. Now I'm not saying that the church, when I say separate, you know, I'm not saying we're over here and they're over there, we do our thing and they do their thing, they're gross, we're here. And you're gross, right? That's gross. They need to see us walking in the light of God's word so that they can see the right things and then they can come to the right conclusions. And you're going to have to walk at some level next to them. You're going to have to be involved in their lives, right? But if you're involved in their lives and you're just doing the same things they're doing, what are they seeing and what conclusions will they draw? They're saying, oh, to be saved is to do the same thing I'm doing now in this darkness. What's the point? I don't want to bring my evil deeds into the light. I'll just keep them to myself and keep rolling with the people and it'll make me feel good about myself. And God will be reasonable and it'll be okay. And then, and then they'll die. And they'll burn in hell for eternity. And that's a shame. Because we didn't want to be holy. The bride gets her dress on, you know, and the, we, we're back with Kylie. She can't go wrong putting pictures of Kylie up <laughs> in a wedding dress. The bride gets her white dress on. There's butterflies in her stomach. She's there in her purity. And she's set apart from the cares of the world, her job, her life. And she's even more specifically, she is in this moment separated from her old life. She is there, and then I'm there, and then we left them. We left and cleft. <laughs> right? Okay, we left behind each of our own individual lives. And now we have this one newness of life, right? Her life is going to be completely different, completely changed and new, and in some ways uncomfortable and, and difficult. She married me, and she has an excellent family. She had a great situation. And then she, she left that and married me. And now everything is different and it's hard. But there's joy. She and I were so excited about this. We're so excited. New life. She's no longer, you know, 
worried about her own life. She's worried about our life. And the church, the bride of Christ, shouldn't we have that same attitude? Man, we've got our white, our white raiments on, right? We're not wearing a white dress. I can't. <laughs> but we're there and we're eagerly, so excitedly anticipating he's coming. We're going to be with Jesus soon. And all of my attention is absorbed in that moment, right? Everything that we do and we have and we're, we've got going for us, man, it's all going to end in that one place. There it is. The, the wedding day, the celebration, the union. And wouldn't it be a shame if she's talking trash and she falls in the pond and she's got filth all over her. She's just, she doesn't fall in the pond, she jumps in. Wouldn't that be a shame? Everybody would be like, what in the world? What's wrong with her? But don't, don't we jump in the pond? Don't we fall in the pond? I mean, maybe your heart isn't that you're eager to jump in the pond. Maybe you know that sin is awful. You know, sin is awful. I hate sin. You know why? Because in the moment, you know, when you sin, it's exciting and awesome and good and you feel better because you're relieved from whatever and you had to lie, you had to do this thing. And sin for a moment is great, but then the effects of sin... If you live long enough, you'll see families who are affected by sin and it's grievous and it always hurts and it destroys. And you know what sin produces when it has its way, when it's run its course, it produces death. We hate the muck. We hate the filth. It has nothing for us. We don't belong there. But sometimes we fall. You know, like if she fell at the top of the hill, got grass stain on the dress, or she fell in the pond or slipped her foot in the pond, you know. We, we do that. Sometimes we, we fall, and we get scuffed up, and we get some world on us, and we get some world in us. But you know what Christ doesn't do? He doesn't say, wow, you're disgusting. Get out of here. What do you do? Go take a shower. I mean, in one sense, he says, stop. Quit falling in. But here's what he does. He does what husbands are to do. He's gracious, long-suffering. He's loving. He wants to keep us and conform us, and he wants to cleanse us. In Ephesians 5, it says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church, and he gave himself for it, that he might sanctify it. And here's what he does, that he might cleanse it with the washing of word, of the water by the word. He's washing the church. He's conforming the church. We stumble and fall and get a grass stain. And he picks us up and he's washing. He says, hey, here's what my word says. I have so much, so much better than this. Let's learn to walk. Let's learn to walk down a, a rocky hill. Down to this dock. And let's learn to, to balance and to not fall off the dock into the nasty pond. Let me just wash you up. Why? That he might present to himself a glorious church, not having spot 
or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Do you know what our call is together? It's to be that. And you know who we need to do that to us? Jesus. And you know how Jesus is going to wash us and cleanse us and conform us? When we just let him. When we submit and surrender. Because he promises we can be confident here. Verse, uh, Philippians 1 verse 6 says, Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He's going to keep working on us. We're going to keep falling. He'll keep picking us up. Here's our job. Here's our responsibility. 1 Peter 5, verse 6 and 7. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Right? Let him do what he does, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. The key point is submit to the Lord's daily cleansing and conforming work. You're born again. Fantastic. Your sin is forgiven. Positionally, before Christ, you are, you are completely forgiven. He says, learn to walk. And as we're walking, we're figuring this out, we're trying to obey Christ, and we stumble and fall. And he doesn't say, well, you messed that salvation up. He says, no, come on, keep going. But if we're down on the ground because we stumbled and fall, we got in the pond, we got in the world, and we're saying, no, God, I got this. I'm going to do my thing. I can get this figured out. I can, I can get over this sin by myself. We're kidding ourselves. And that's a shame. Isn't that a shame? But if we humble ourselves, we come to the light, we say, here we go, God. Here's my life. There is no shame in that. That's good. God is ready to forgive. He's ready to cleanse. He's ready to conform, to, to, to change us. And I think it all kind of sums up for me in the, in the verse of uh, Come Thou Fount. It says, Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. You guys, today is the day of salvation. You need to be saved. Today is the day of repentance. We need to repent. And today is the day of walking with Christ in obedience in desperation for him to have his way. And if that's not where our heart is at, maybe you're not seeing that. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray if your heart is seeing that, if you know you need to respond, and maybe you don't know, I'm going to pray for you either way. We're going to pray. The praise band is going to lead us. There's going to be people down front. We just want to pray with you. It's not weird. It's a little uncomfortable to come down and to say, hey, I think I need to be saved. That's uncomfortable. There's nothing more important. It's uncomfortable to come down and say, hey, I need you to pray because I got this thing in my life. But there is nothing more important today than that. Amen? So I'm going to pray for us, and then you come if you need to. Okay? Father, thank you for your word.
God, thank you that your spirit is in us and that you lead us and guide us, that you speak to us, you teach us, you conform us, you perfect us. God, meaning you, you mature us, you grow us. God, you're taking care of us. Lord, would you help us to see that? Just how good you are. How good of a husband, how good of a father you are to us. God, help us to see that. And help us to just submit to that. God, as the people who are in this room are considering, contemplating, wrestling, wherever they're at, Lord, would you, would you help us? Would you just show your mercy and, and your grace? God, give us wisdom. God, we love you. And we give our, ourselves, we give this week, we give our lives to you. In Jesus' name, amen.